0: Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 435. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms, And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Our partnership with Florist Review is such a valuable one, providing a forum for beautiful and inspiring editorial content in the Slow Flowers Journal section, month after month. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deboraprinzing.com where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 432. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Welcome to 2020, as we dust off the New Year's hangover and pivot to a new season for growing and designing with flowers. Today's conversation is the first of several episodes I want to feature about sustainability, the environment and climate change and challenges facing our Slow Flowers community in this new decade. While researching and writing the 2020 Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast, which you heard last week, my instincts were confirmed that the ever more important topic of sustainability in the floral marketplace will be front and center this year. So I've committed to inviting at least one guest per month to discuss who, what, and how we can each make adjustments in our practices to be more sustainable. Today's guests will kick things off. Please meet Heather Henson of Boreal Blooms, based in Cold Lake, Alberta, and Clara Qualisa of Meadow and Thicket Flowers in Wildwood, Alberta, outside of Edmonton. Together, these two women from Alberta, Canada, host the Sustainable Flowers podcast, which they describe as a conversation about sustainable cut flower growing and designing as two passionate Canadian growers trying to figure it out. I take comfort in that because, well, we're all trying to figure it out, aren't we? Heather and Clara each grow cut flowers for market on the northern edge of the Canadian prairies. In 2018, these floralpreneurs launched the Sustainable Flowers Podcast as a project in which they discuss the issues they face and alternatives to conventional approaches that they're putting into practice or trialing to ensure their small-scale flower farm operations are sustainable. Whether that means looking to the past or looking forward to new technologies, they're looking for the whys and hows as they discuss everything from peat to floral foam, anthurium to zinnias, as well as the weekly adventures on these two farms in Zones 2 and 3. I'm so delighted that both Heather and Clara are members of Slow Flowers. Their leadership as flower farmers and influencers who view their practices through a sustainable lens is creating change for floral professionals and consumers in the province of Alberta, across Canada and North America and beyond. Their listenership is international. Have a listen to our unique three-way conversation brought to you by the magic of technology, Thank You, Clara, which we recorded several weeks ago. I'm so glad that it kicks off the new year for the Slow Flowers podcast and sets the tone for conversations to follow. Please visit DeborahPrinsing.com to see photos of Clara and Heather, their flower farms, floral designs, and more. And I'll also share links to how you can find and follow them via social media and listen to their podcast. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to have the two women behind the Sustainable Flowers Podcast, Heather Henson and Clara Qualitza. Hi, ladies. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> We're doing kind of a three-way interview here with really great technology. It's fun to interview professional podcasters, because I'm learning more about your technology. And um, we're actually all looking at each other and talking over Zoom. But hopefully we'll grab a great interview for all of you out there in the Silthars podcast world to learn about a new podcast that you may not have come across that I'm excited about. So the Sustainable Flowers podcast is um, produced by two flower farmers in Alberta, Canada, who, uh, you know, farm under really challenging circumstances, at least I say that being here over in Zone 8B in Seattle, but also you're not physically near each other. So uh, who, which one of you wants to jump in and, and give us the um, the big, big picture story of Sustainable Flowers podcast?
1: So I'm Heather and my farm is called Boreal Blooms. Um, and I'm over here on the eastern side of Alberta, very close to the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. And you're right, Claire and I are about four and a half hours away from each other in terms of where our farms are. I think, you know, the podcast kind of sprung out of conversations that Clara and I would have whenever we could meet up in Edmonton. That's mm-hmm. kind of halfway between the two of us. Okay. I would come in to pick up supplies and things, and we would try and grab coffee as often as possible. And our conversations always evolved into something Around well, what are we going to do about this issue? And it was always with regards to the environment and sustainability and how we were going to take this local flower movement in Alberta in particular and grow it in a way that it didn't devolve into something that looked exactly like commercially grown flowers
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And we just as our farms grew, so I think this is like two and a half years now that I since I've met Clara as our farms grew, we just kept coming upon issues of supply, issues of growing conditions, issues uh, with regard to sourcing that we kept finding stumbling blocks when we wanted to do it in a sustainable fashion. And we would have these long conversations. And then, uh, then it was Clara who had the brilliant idea for a podcast. So... I'll let her talk about that. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it, and uh, thanks, Heather. And uh, you didn't say how you actually originally met. Obviously, you you started this this long distance friendship and occasionally met in person in Edmonton. But did you just find each other through social media? Or
1: yes, absolutely. Yeah, the magic of social media. Wow, um, I love it. I think maybe I think maybe there was some sort of group buy through a Canadian page and. Mm realized that we were close to each other and we just started messaging and then made a plan to meet up in uh, Edmonton one day after one of her markets. Mm,
0: fun. Okay. So Clara Qualitza and you own Meadow and Thicket Flo- Farm. Wait, it's an interesting name. Meadow and Thicket Farm <laughs> Flowers. Sorry to stumble over that. Uh, pick up where Heather left off and, and tell us what, uh, what led to actually acting on your your we should do something comments
2: um well i you know i i i frequently cannot add much to heather's fabulous uh statement so it it really was um nothing different than what she said it was mm-hmm. just we i i personally i'm a podcast addict mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i I learn best from listening to mm-hmm. people talk about uh, be it science, uh, philosophy, whatever. i I learn best that way. i I love the conversational nature of podcasts. and 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 you know we we have a deep concern about we have a shared deep concern about. Uh, how we develop our businesses Mm -hmm. and Heather's several years farther along than, than I am. Um, But we share a very similar growing conditions and concern about the kinds of decisions that we need to make. And, and we, we face similar challenges and and we're really hoping that, um, that there is an increase in people growing Local flowers for local small markets, uh, so that you know we can enjoy local right. products right. and flowers and slow flowers, uh, and and help people understand how important that is, and and how that actually contributes to uh, our entire life of trying to make compassionate decisions mm-hmm. about our communities and our environment, and so. How do you do that other than having uh, conversations right. yeah. with each other and all of our fellow flower farmers? And we, we don't really have, you know, we're very widespread up here. Um, Heather and I are four hours apart, but that's kind of how everybody is. There's people, we're all hours apart and we don't get the opportunity to sit uh, together right. up here that often. And so um, so, that's where the podcast idea came in. It's like a conversation that hopefully people are having a cup of tea or they're listening to while they're weeding or whatever. And right. it's a way of
0: sharing. Right. I love what you said about how you learn. I find that <clears throat> that's why I became a writer. I figure out what I think by writing and um, that's very solitary. And so uh, the conversation of the podcast has such a enriched you know, enhanced component to that learning. I like what you also have on your podcast page. I'll just read it to everyone here. <clears throat> the Sustainable Flowers Podcast is a conversation about sustainable cut flower growing and designing between two passionate Canadian growers trying to figure it out. <laughs> so you're really honest on that front. Um, <clears throat> and there's more here. So we'll, we'll share that link with them. Um, the listeners of the Soul Fires podcast so they can get to know more about you. Um, I think maybe what you sh- I should ask of both of you is to help us define sustainable because that is a term uh, very much like what happened with organic as a term um, back 20 years ago. Like, w- Do you find that you have to kind of define that over and over again so people know we're all on the same kind of coming to this conversation with the same understanding of the term, or is it okay if, if, it, if it is, you know, a little bit of an elastic term? Yeah,
2: it's, it's a heartbreaker when um, good, good words become um, Co-opted? Ill, <laughs> ill-used. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but that doesn't diminish the the original goodness of them, mm-hmm. and we don't um, we we try to refer back to some of the uh, sustainability what we call sustainability filters that we uh, frankly learned from uh, another farmer who's actually a vegetable farmer on the east coast of Canada. Um, so we, we we refer back to those sometimes in our podcast, but we don't dwell on okay. um, defining sustainability because I think it is elastic.
0: So I, I I want to put you on the spot about just defining sustainability because it is a word that I keep finding uh, popping up and uh, sometimes being used in a, a pro- what I think is an appropriate way, other times being kind of co-opted. Um, by people whose practices I know are not as green as I would like uh, but one of one of uh, our mutual friends Becky Feesby, shared with me that she'd learned and began using uh, a term from the United Nations uh, which is not a new term it was defined in 1987 uh, defining sustainability as meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs which is pretty broad so i how do you feel about that and you know in terms of the sustainable flower podcast you know where does does that sound right or do you have further definitions for that term uh
2: i i completely agree i think the that definition was there there was a lot of thought that went into that and it it behooves us to to actually think and dwell on that definition Mm -hmm. for a good long time Um, we I think that the the term sustainability uh, is is very elastic, uh, as as you mentioned, and we don't define it um, specifically, and we don't re refer to it at every on each of our episodes, mm-hmm. but um, it's. That's the implicit mm-hmm. um, underpinnings of it. We often see that Venn diagram. If you've looked at anything to do with sustainability, you see that Venn diagram of economics, environment, soci- society, um, where you know they're all two, three interacting. Um, and and I think that uh, you know how do we how do we end up flourishing as as community? communities, um, without detrimentally affecting the future of the planet Mm -hmm. and all of our children. So, um, you know, I, I, I think about that Venn diagram kind of more like, um, a triangle and you you could look at it either as an upside down or a triangle or a regular straight way up triangle Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're trying to run a business. Right. Um, but I, I think that good or sustainable economics are like the outcome or they spill out of creative and compassionate decisions mm-hmm. that ensure long term, and I'm talking multi generational health. Yeah. Of our environment and the flourishing of our relationships, which is our society, mm-hmm. and those those latter two they hold equal primacy. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, it's really a, a moving between those those bubbles, but remembering that at the end of the day, you have to have make creative, compassionate decisions that are thinking multi generationally, yeah. not just in the near term, and that may mean, you know, uh, reduced economic um, feedback to yourself in the name of something in the long term, but not diminishing the need that you do need to survive. But I think that's where, when we say we're trying to figure it out, these are not easy um, decisions to make. You have to inform yourself. You have to uh, feel the actual pain of some of that information. And then you have to creatively and compassionately move forward, and I think that's what we're hoping to do with the idea of sustainable our sustainable flower businesses
0: yeah, that's helpful Clara and it is' is not a it's just not an easy check the box kind of thing it's more of a holistic lifestyle approach to <clears throat> choosing like you said almost daily choices about everything we're doing and I'm wondering if in order to answer those questions, uh, the podcast allows both of you to bring on guests who, who, you know, have expertise in particular um, categories under your, you know, wh- how you're farming, and then sort of topics that would relate to other flower farmers or floral designers. Um, and I thought maybe I'd ask you to describe some of the guests you've had and some of the topics you've talked about. And of course, people can uh, find the link to all your episodes. We'll share that in our show notes today at deboraprenzing.com. So uh, it's pretty vast. And I don't know, Heather, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the guests that you've invited on? And and, like, who was your first guest? Or was it just the two of you talking through uh, (laughs) your your concerns or your ideas?
1: Well, actually, we did spend the first few episodes talking about our own issues, our own topics, but actually the very first guests, I guess, or the first interview we had with Steve and Mandy O'Shea of Three Porch Farm. Oh, who, fun. Yeah. I consider them to be forerunners in terms of doing flowers sustainably and doing flowers with a with an eye to the longevity of our planet, right?
0: Great suggestion. So, great great couple and great business. And and we're, I'm delighted to have had the privilege of interviewing them in the past as well. Um, but I, I think that... Um, The questions you had might have been different than the questions I had for them because um, I'm not a farmer and you're like wanting the nitty gritty sometimes about practices.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was asking them all kinds of questions about sustainability with regards to just growing your business. How do you manage your energies? How do you do it as a couple? When do you decide to take on employees? Mm. you know nitty-gritty questions about dahlia growing mm-hmm. <laughs> things that are really you know important to me but <clears throat> as far as how i apply sustainability to my business it's a it's a lens that i look through every day whenever i'm making a decision about anything and the pot you're right the podcast has been a way for us to help ourselves make those decisions i think my favorite episode that we we just had was and it sounds funny, but it was an interview with the noxious weed specialists right. in Alberta.
0: Sexy topic, ladies. <laughs> but every, I know. But everybody deals with it, right? That's a, a, really a great topic, actually.
1: Well, it was kind of with an angle towards foraging because foraging is so popular. And for my business, I wanted to hear from the people that are in charge of controlling and managing noxious weeds, but also things that we see people putting in bouquets here, Mm. in Alberta at least, and across Canada. Um, I wanted to hear from the experts, you know, what is the impact of if everybody decides to go out and gather these and put these in bouquets and then not give care to how these are ending up, whether they're composted, burned, or just tossed in somebody's trash? What are the implications for farmers? What are the implications for landowners? What is the implication for Um, the sustainability of those plants if everybody decides to go out and help themselves to that.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: That was one of my, that was actually one of my favorite things. And it really clarified some issues that had been nagging in the back of my mind of, you know, Oh, there's this one wild plant that I really love and I really enjoy drying it. And, but if I take care to make sure it's burned and I know that it's, you know, uh, disposed of properly, isn't that okay? (laughs) And I had these thoughts in my mind. And then when we talked, when we interviewed them, I realized, nope, no, it's not okay. There's a hard line there. And having them explain the implications really solidified that for me. That for my business, if I want to operate in an ethical manner and not impact other farmers, no, I can't go and pick that plant. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Do you hear feedback from your listeners who want to argue on certain points or, um, or would you like to hear from, from people who want to have like, I don't know, a a response to that, that conclusion you had.
1: Um, I haven't had anybody arguing a point with me, but I would welcome that. I mean, debate is healthy, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. And that's why this is framed as a conversation and Mm -hmm. we, you know, we come up with, um, you know, there's advice offered and we discuss advice and what we've been struggling with and you know there's very few things in life that have black and white answers and you have to struggle with the question but you need to be informed in order to properly struggle with the question and the more we talk about it the more you can pull out where your values sit and what your decision about some things are and I think um I think that's really important. And so if if people do disagree, we haven't had any anybody mention that they're concerned about what we've talked about, but right. um but yeah, I a hundred percent that's neat. a welcome conversation because that's the only way we're going to advance any uh new approaches to
0: how we do business and how we live in the planet. Right. So uh Clara, you also have um often uh, I'm looking at the the topics that you've posted week to week. Sometimes they're just called field notes and they're by the season. And uh, is that, I'm I'm guessing that that's really um, in the moment talking with each other about what's happening on your own farms or what you're growing. Um, What, how did you come up with that kind of uh, type of episode? Well, that, that's,
2: that's interesting. Um, We, we initially had um, we wanted to t- we wanted it to be like a conversation like we have when we're talking <laughs> on the phone or when we're having coffee and we're like, oh, this was like the worst week ever because of whatever. Right. And, um, and we thought, well, you know, that's. Uh, I know that it's. It was always immensely helpful for me to chat with Heather just to. Vent, or to you know, how are you dealing with this issue? Because we do have a unique climate conditions here, mm-hmm. um, and so we thought we would tag that on at the end, just I because see. we were having the conversation anyway. Well, sure. then it turned out that we did get feedback from folks who said, Actually, we like that part the best, keep it and up, and yeah, great. So, so we kept it up, and then. Um, you know, we're, we're very new to this podcasting adventure and we had great dreams of having consistent podcasts all year long. And then, you know, the reality of the field season kind of hits you like a tidal wave and we just couldn't, um, manage keeping our going through the summer with our interviews and our research, because in order to do the podcast, the way we want to have them done, there's a bunch of research. We got to contact people. All those things. Right, right. Um, so the field season hit us, and we thought, well, we'll just continue to do shorter episodes on what we're facing while we're actually going through the part of the year for us that is this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where your all your dahlias are being eaten by slugs, or you've got thrip infestation. What are you going to do? So we thought we would continue that, that's and so wonderful. that's that's what we did through our very, very insanely busy, um, growing season. We, we just would touch base each week to either talk each other off the (laughs) ledge or, uh, laugh about something or celebrate something that went right. And so that's kind of, that was kind of a, we didn't plan on that, but that's how it evolved. And
0: well, it's kind of like, it's like a post, a postcard to your listeners so that they're, they're not feeling, um, disconnected with, the two women they've gotten to know, uh, you know, starting in maybe the more <clears throat> dormant months. <laughs> so I love that. I love that idea, and it makes me want to go back and listen to a bunch of them so I can get a sense of your your full year and you know what happens throughout the calendar year um, on your farms. I feel like you also have um, an ongoing theme that I, is maybe more <clears throat> um, pushing more into the design conversation about. Uh, gr- chemical-free, uh, foam-free practices, um, you've, you've had some guests on talking about um, their, des- as designers, how they're approaching um, traditional mechanics versus more innovative mechanics. And is that kind of an ongoing topic that, uh, that keeps coming up for you? I know what it, it does for me in terms of you know, people that I encounter on the design side.
1: Mm, Yeah, definitely. I think because we know our audience is not just flower farmers, but also farmer florists. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a few weddings myself, so foam-free design is really important to me. And having been able to talk to people like Max Gill, Lucy Hunter, uh, Gabriela Salazar, about what they do, and of course, learning from Toby at uh, the Sustainable Flowers Workshop, Mm that was a really powerful experiences to be there with somebody who's done it many, many times and watching them work their magic and then I'm able to take that home to my business. So I want that to be a continuing part of our podcast just because it's it's part of who our audience is and again, it's how I want to see. I, I feel like you know the podcast is a way to try and shepherd the flower farming and far- farmer florist, Movement here in Alberta because it is quite young. I think me at been doing it for six years. I'm one of the longer, long time farmers, which well, the, sounds funny at the veterans. <laughs> yeah, right, a veteran. So for the, the and there's tons of new people starting every year. So I want that conversation out there to help shepherd the movement, shepherd the new growers who may have gone to you know have decided, oh, I want to do floristry. And so when they go to a a local college, they're faced with a block of oasis or a block of floral foam. Mm-hmm. and because that's how it's still taught. Right. So methods are not uh, out in the, say, traditional schools of floristry as of yet. So I want that this information out there in the mainstream, through our podcast, through workshops, so that young people starting new flower farmers, get that information as well, and that the industry grows with that information mm-hmm. in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great, I agree with you completely. And I, I think uh, in a way, we it takes a long time to change habits and practices. So if you're starting from scratch, great, you can learn from, from the beginning how to use uh, other mechanics. But if you're a, a established florist who maybe becomes curious about sustainability, Uh, that's a, that's a harder shift for people. So I don't think you can talk about it often enough. I think, uh, wait, does that a double negative? I think you need to talk about it often. (laughs) So I'm glad you're doing that. Um, Heather, you mentioned the sustainable flower. Um, uh, what was the name of that workshop that Becky did? The sustainable flower workshop, I guess, right? Um, I'm going to look up the name while we're talking. Uh, that uh, we just wrote about that. Actually, it's going to be in the uh, it's in the current issue of C- a Canadian florist uh, that uh, Becky Feesby of Prairie Girl Flowers hosted in Alberta in September. And Toby Nelson um, from my area uh, came and taught uh, foam free design, large scale foam free installation. You both were in, t- in attendance and you both presented right at that workshop.
1: Yes, we did. It was wonderful.
0: What did you both uh, teach? At, uh, you know, I know that there were two days, so I know there were a lot of topics
1: covered. So I spoke basically about the evolution of my farm, mm. how I got started, and my methods, all with an eye towards sustain- sustainability, how mm-hmm. I'm growing my small business um, with an eye towards, you know, longevity for my business and longevity for my soils. And um, just because there was mostly a new crowd, with mm-hmm. mostly newer farmers in the room,
0: I was going to comment that I was surprised when Becky shared with me that um, mostly farmers were in attendance, not florists. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It yes, was, it uh, was.
1: Uh, I think there was one woman from Vancouver who was strictly a florist, mm-hmm. but it was mostly growers.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Sustainable Flowers Workshop was the actual name of the workshop. So, yeah, no, felt- it was really it was
2: fabulous with a lot of a lot of young growers who, you know, the floristry part. You were we were you were talking before about the importance of the design side and the floristry side. That's an important element of developing a sustainable business for a flower farmer, uh, unless you're going large scale and. And are actually just producing volumes of flowers for sale, um, but most, I think, most uh, flower farmers, at least up here, start off on a, a small scale, and they you know they're exploring their their business opportunities. So it has to involve floristry. It, it usually mm. involves trying out weddings, mm-hmm. trying out uh, markets, trying out CSA bouquet subscriptions and until they find what they're comfortable with. So sustainable floristry, I, I'm just reflecting back on, the, on the, the things that Heather said about why that's an important part of this podcast is as these new, new uh, people entering the the local flowers market are trying to figure it out where they really want to sit. That's a really critical piece potentially of their new businesses. Right. And so having that information is really important and we try to balance that in with what I'm kind of uh, a little bit uh, fanatical about, which is science and the science behind growing but that's because of my background. I'm a soil scientist by training, and um, <clears throat> and research. I'm a bit of a research nerd. <laughs> well, so. I, I
0: I wanted to ask what you uh, <clears throat> what you presented, Claire. And I was looking through my phone right now while we were talking because I remember during the workshop, either Becky or Toby texted me and said that your soil presentation blew them away. So I can't remember exactly what the t- the title was, but tell us about what you taught. <clears throat> oh
2: well, it, it was really just a you know, uh, a primer on soils for, for flower farmers. Uh So it was really an introductory um, kind of talk about what you need to think about, about your soils and why they are, they are, um, you know, both literally and metaphorically the foundation (laughs) of your um, uh, farming initiative. And um, so, you know, it covered everything from Soil chemistry to physics to you know just ha- basic things that you can do to ensure the health and and long term health of your soils or build that health and uh, and I, I love talking about soils mm. I can talk for an extended period of time <laughs> about soils so <laughs> uh, I'm it. glad people people thought that it was it was okay because it it can be a little bit. Um, you know, too science Yeah, but,
0: <laughs> but but these topics weave their way through your podcast uh, calendar as well with, I noticed, you know, topics about peat and about potting soil and about compost and all of that, uh, I guess, would fall under soil type of themes. Um, and you mix it up with really f- probably fun, beautiful flower topics like, uh, you know, specific crops, like growing um you know, Lysianthus or growing Ranunculus. So I think it sounds like it's a good balance um, to keep people coming back for more. Well, and I think it
2: the topics really reflect, like, as a flower farmer, you really actually have to think about all this stuff, right? So, yes. Like, you can't just think about how you're going to cut your zinnias. Like, you, you have to think about that. you have to think about how you 're going to fertilize it. you have to think about how you 're going to arrange those flowers. You have to think about your business how you 're going to make it sustainable economically so that 's another important aspect that we emphasize like as a flower farmer you 're juggling a lot of issues and so we cover everything that we 're juggling yeah
0: <laughs> in bits yeah. and pieces I love it I love it well we've, we we haven 't you 've both alluded to a little bit about your own farms, but I do want to um hear about your personal story so um heather um being the veteran in the room would you uh tell us how what your path was to starting boreal blooms and um you know what did what happened to turn you into flower farmer
1: well (laughs) um so we're a military family cold lake is a military community And we were living here for 15 years. And then we got an overseas posting to Belgium. Mm. And we we spent four years in Belgium. And we lived right in the center of a a town called Namur. And right out front of my apartment window every Saturday was a huge market. And right in front of my building was the flower market.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) And so that was my introduction to European flowers and their attitudes towards flowers. I really, I mean, I grew up in a family that gardened. My mom, all my parents, my grandparents, I should say, all gardened. Everyone had flowers. So I, I loved flowers, but I had no idea that people actually spent a portion of their income on flowers every week to bring into their home just for the sake of that beauty they Mm. didn't grow them because you know most european cities are very dense full of apartments and not a lot of growing space so there was this appreciation of flowers that blew me away
2: Mm.
1: and having that market outside my apartment every saturday and i didn't have space to grow anymore either so i bought flowers every saturday Mm. i just started doing it because i missed them and the um assortment was astounding and to have them year round as well, because of course they were coming from greenhouses just over the border in in the Netherlands. To have them year round was such a treat, and they were seasonal. You know, we did get peonies in May and June, and lilies later on, and chrysanthemums in November. Um, and so I, I developed this whole other appreciation for them during the four years that we lived there. And then when we came back, I started um, converting more this yard that this house and this yard that we bought. It was mostly a gravel pit in the backyard because they had used it to store their RVs. So I wanted growing space. So we started just building on top of it, putting raised beds in. And I just started ripping out more grass every year and filling it in more with vegetables and flowers.
0: Mm.
1: Till I eventually decided, um, after I think reading Erin at Florette's blog, I thought, you know, I wonder if people would buy flowers for me. Mm. I miss having flowers. I know I love having them in my house. I wonder if people would buy flowers from me. So I just started my very first year with a very tiny bouquet share of 11 people, just mostly friends who I think felt sorry for me or just (laughs) wanted to be nice. And I did it all out of my yard. And then when it was successful, I expanded little by little. And now I grow on my friend's uh, organic strawberry farm. And I have about half acre in production. And my CSA has just continued to grow and uh, I do weddings, and I sell to some of my florists in town. But my the bulk of my um, income comes from my bouquet share, which I do spring, summer, and fall. And mm. then dried flowers season right now, which I'm prepping for my dried flower market. Mm.
0: Uh, and how has that CSA grown um, from those original friends? Uh, you have a lot more subscribers then? Or customers? Oh,
1: yeah. Yes, yeah. So it's been really... The thing that I've loved the most is to see the demand for local flowers grow in my community. That's been really amazing. When I started, I did my little tiny CSA and I also went to the farmer's market here. And a lot of people just walked by my table and kind of sniffed at like, oh, well, I could grow that myself or, uh-huh. oh, he wants $15 for a bouquet. And there, it was not my crowd. Right. They were not my people there. And so I just... Kept developing my CSA word spread. I'm up to 50 subscribers this last season. And my markets are really popular too when I do a market now, but I've just had to define who my customer is and market towards them. And the demand has grown, I would say exponentially here in my community. And it's been really wonderful to see people start to understand why it's important. Right. To understand why flowers in season, fresh flowers in season, are so much more beautiful. They set, have a scent, you know, and start to understand a little bit more about the story behind the flowers and start to care about where their flowers came from. And in essence, your so, slow flower movement. It's been really neat mm-hmm. to see that idea catch on in my community.
0: Well, you are part of the product in those relationships and like you I like what you said about finding your people and defining your your ideal customer it's the it's somebody who does appreciate beauty and um, is is seduced by the idea that they're grown right in you know right in cold lake and you know kind of the way you were when you moved to belgium as it sounds like they're having just their eyes are opening um, through you now that's wonderful. Uh, okay, let's jump over to Clara and hear about meadow and thicket farm, farm flowers, meadow and thicket farm flowers. I have this written on two lines on my piece of paper. That's why I'm messing it up. Um, you're in Wildwood, Alberta. So I love that you both kind of put yourselves on the map for me so that I can picture Heather, you're on the eastern part of the province to two, two and a half hours east of Edmonton and um, Equidistant on the, uh, the west of Edmonton is roughly where you are. Is that right, Clara? Yeah, I'm.
2: I'm. I'm only about uh, an hour and a bit west of the city. But oh, I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the western, more on the western side mm-hmm. of the the province. So we're, we're. Um, yeah, we are in two different areas, but we share climate zones. Okay. Um, and uh, well, and this is just how this is just how it is. Most of our flower farmers are spread out. all over the province so are you in
0: a more rural area or a little bit more okay
2: yeah I'm it's very rural and um we we ended up here uh I'm you know I'm I I'm not a young person anymore um (laughs) my husband and I um have both always wanted to uh live on a farm and farm but uh Never happened, and we finally got to the point where we said, "Okay, we're we're kind of running out of the time now."
0: <laughs> like your either your, your biological farming clock.
2: My biological farming clock, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so we said, "Okay, either we're doing this now, or it isn't going to happen." So we we um, we jumped into it. We're we're near Edmonton because my parents uh-huh. live in Edmonton, and um, I wanted to be close to them. But we are in a, a rural area and um so we farm uh we own a, a quarter section of land but we farm the the flower farm is actually again it's a very small scale because really uh you can only manage so much of intensive flower growing as, as individuals as a one-woman so, show yeah so uh we actually farm on less than a third of an acre uh, intensively farm and um and we we came to flowers because of me. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the idea of farming is a is a fabulous idea. But you, um, you know, we knew we weren't getting into conventional uh, prairie farming, which is large-scale grain production or large-scale cattle production, because that's not uh, really feasible for either of us at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not our backgrounds. And um, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people, New farmers end up flower farmers end up doing it the way that I did. I've always been a gardener. I've always loved flowers and and I thought well what, what why not try this because mm-hmm. i i'm also a, i love farmers' markets and actually i did know i did know about slow flowers. I thought what a brilliant idea like we we need to transition the idea of slow food, and you did that, and that's where it first. hit me actually, where I thought this is a thing, you know, at my market, I can't buy a bouquet of flowers. Why is that? Yeah. I also uh, um, have been a member of our, our local daily and glad gladiola society for a long time. And some of the members in there actually did used to grow cut gladiolas for market. We used to have an industry in this province. And for all the reasons that your listeners know, Uh, why these markets collapsed um so it was so there was a possibility and i thought well let's just see what we can do (laughs) and and so we've taken it on as a kind of a five-year let's you know business development idea and we're uh we just finished our third year at a farmer's market uh in the city of edmonton and uh, that is my primary um venue Channel. for selling uh-huh. my my <clears throat> flowers is at my farmer's market which is a joy that's awesome what I are the say.
0: what is the rough uh, beginning and end of your season for not i know heather mentioned dried flowers but for fresh cut flowers is it like may through october or
2: yeah that's that's about it i i i personally do not have covered production um so i'm actually in my market from the beginning of june till if i'm lucky i get to the middle of september okay um but i don't have any covered production yet that's in the plan down the road uh-huh. not, not quite there yet i know i feel the pressure of needing to get on that sooner rather than later but um that's basically my window yes
0: mm. are, are you doing design at all clara or are you focusing on selling to people just who want your flowers Yeah, it's the latter. Uh, I do. I have done a few weddings, um, but very few,
2: and um, I mostly just prepare bouquets for Mm -hmm. the farmers market. And uh, until I um, really, uh, I feel until I feel more experienced with knowing uh, all the variabilities. You see you can see my control freak research side coming yes, through the, about the supply is there. <laughs> the supply of my flowers um, the wedding market is very stressful for yeah. me because yeah. I have run into situations already as a as a grower trying to do weddings where I don't have the flowers that I had hoped and that I should have had for a wedding and then having to bring them in is
0: heartbreaking to me. So yeah. I'm focused on my market and mm-hmm. what I can actually supply. No, well, I think that's that's back to sustainability, right? <clears throat> well now uh, Heather well, on the other hand,
2: <laughs> now there's a woman who knows what to do about a limited season.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. Heather, can you talk a little bit about this, this dried flower market you were referring to? I, I'm really intrigued.
1: Sure. So dried flowers are my very favorite thing in the whole world. If you follow my Instagram, you'll see me um, talking about them ad nauseum.
0: <laughs> and we'll, I, share, we'll I, share your, your Instagram um, addresses with our listeners so they can follow you
1: as, as well as the podcast. Awesome. Thanks. I just think they're the perfect solution to our short season climate. You know, I started my spring bouquet share May 15th this year, which is the earliest I've ever been able to start. And then I had flowers through Canadian Thanksgiving. I did bouquets to the middle of October. Yep. And then I had fresh flowers because I have covered space. I had fresh flowers until about the fourth week, third or fourth week of October. Um, And so covered space has made a big difference for me, but still that's only five months to make money, you know, and if we're talking about this, Sustainability of our businesses having five months of income to stretch over 12 months that not only does that suck, that's not yeah. really sustainable. No, so, right. I got into drying flowers four years ago, and just like with my fresh flowers, I've managed to build demand and explain to my customers why these are important to my business, show them how beautiful they can be, use them in different ways to attract customers. And my dried flower sales end up being a huge part of my income now. And last season was the first year that I had almost year-round sales. Wow. Because of my dried flowers. I think I only didn't have sales in uh, February, March, and April. So only three months off.
0: Wow. And when you're selling the dried flowers, is there a value add? Are they a finished product like a wreath or, or are they also bunches and you know, just simply wrapped?
1: I have done value-added things. What's been really popular in this year and last year was Christmas ornaments made with dried flowers. Wreaths are popular, but they're a higher price point, so they don't sell as much as my dried flower bunches.
0: Wow! Wow! That's so great. And are you selling primarily to uh, the, I guess, like retail to the consumer versus wholesale to other florists, or is there a balance?
1: It is mostly retail, but I have wholesaled some of my dried flowers to other flower farmers and florists.
0: I think it is a solution for people with short growing seasons. I'm seeing that even here in the Oregon and Washington markets where, um, you know, frost has hit most of the farms on the western, you know, west of the Cascades and certainly east of the Cascades as well. And so how do you fill your your stall? How do you make it look Know luscious and and abundant you have to think outside the box i guess even though dried flowers kind of i remember dried flowers in the 70s when i was growing up they've kind of (laughs) you've repopularized them it sounds like heather
2: he most certainly has i'll
0: just jump in there because (laughs) uh
2: i i also remember the late 70s early 80s (laughs) yeah and uh but nothing that heather is putting out there is even vaguely reminiscent of that. So (laughs) it's it's fabulous.
0: (laughs) Well, we started this uh, conversation with both of you alluding to the fact that you had a desire to redefine flower farming and uh, for yourselves and also in the province um, and all of Canada for that matter of, of not having the local flower channel start looking like the commercial Uh, commercially uh, grown cut flowers. And um, I don't think you have, I think you've been able to hold on to that goal. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, the fact that there are more people growing cut flowers in both in Alberta and other parts of Canada. Uh, Do you feel like there is sort of um, essentially two categories of flowers now, Um, the local artisanal farmer florist, uh, sustainable approach, and then the you know, the big commercial greenhouse approach. Um, I mean, can they coexist or do they coexist? (laughs) Oh, by the way, we're looking at each other. Claire's making some great, great reactions on her facial expressions. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Is this dangerous territory? I'm not trying to bash the big growers. We need the big growers, too. The the industry needs both. Um, I'm just curious if the consumer understands the difference.
1: I think that's our work. Mm. That, that will be our life's work for Clara <laughs> and I. That is the whole point of the podcast. That's the whole point of my business is to keep spreading that message. And, you know, we've talked, we, we spent at least one or two episodes talking about this, that we're trying to manage and establish consumer expectations when it comes to flowers. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, we have to get our message out there to say that, you know, this is what is available in Alberta in May, if you're talking local sustainably grown flowers and, and show them, show people, this is what we can grow in May. And so if you're seeing things in the grocery store at your florist that aren't those flowers, then you then the understanding is that these are coming from heated spaces, far, far away, or, in Canada, but intensively use an intensive use of fossil fuels to grow mm-hmm, these through, mm-hmm. through our very cold Canadian winter. There sure. is just no way you're getting peonies in April in Alberta unless they came in on a plane.
0: Right. You know,
1: right. so it's that's my, I feel like that is my main job is to keep educating my customers about what is available when. And if you see something that doesn't match up with that, that has come from a long distance and there's a, a large carbon footprint associated with it.
0: Right. And make the choice based on that information rather than just, um, this random product showing up at the grocery store, which I, I, I experienced that, that awareness of a disconnect so often. Um, so you're doing your work and I, I've, I'm delighted. <laughs> I'm really glad I want to support you in, um, you know, getting the word out to, uh, I think your audience is probably more professionals, but there are probably uh, just flower lovers who have found you as well. And I hope that continues. So anything else we need to talk about before we wrap up, we've had such a great conversation. We should do this. We should check in with each other a couple times a year. I love it. Brilliant. No, I, I
2: totally agree. And I, I, I just think that we're, we're we're on the same page with you Deborah in fact you're the inspiration for a lot of a lot of this is just the whole idea of being able to have local flowers is what inspired both of us I think yeah. and and you certainly were at the forefront of, of, of making people aware and I, I can't I can't Thanks. say it any better than than Heather about that is are as as podcasters we're trying to help those people entering the market uh as flower farmers but also as just being out there educating people about what is possible here even though we live in a weird uh, you know a difficult climate um it is possible and and you've been doing that showing that it's possible all over the united states and we think it's totally possible up here. You have to adjust your expectations a bit. You know, we don't live in Seattle as much as we would love to, but and you know, we don't
0: we don't live in California. You know, it's like everybody's <laughs> got their eye on the next. You know, they call that zonal envy for some reason. Yes, we all <laughs> yeah. have zonal
2: envy. And but I think that's the thing is we need to celebrate the fact that there are all these zones. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get excited about that and. And yeah, I agree more like, you know, be more like I always think of Europe and the fact and Italy in particular that there's foods that come from certain regions. And my gosh, that's where it comes from. And how fabulous is that when it's not the season? It's not the season. And we yearn for when it's the season again and we yearn to go visit or whatever. (laughs) Right.
0: right? I mean, that's exactly what happened when I started the Slow Flowers uh, book project. I guess it wasn't a book in my mind. I thought it was going to be a blog. I thought, well, okay, my winter palette is twigs and conifers. That's beautiful. I want to make bouquets that are beautiful using of the moment of the month and not cheat. Now, of course, I cheat all the time. So two true, true confessions, I'll still buy roses from my favorite Oregon greenhouse uh, in January, because mm-hmm. if I need roses, I would rather have a, a shorter distance than a longer distance. But uh, if, if we pare it down to the true, you know, living in the season idea, then we do have a different aesthetic from month to month. And I, I knowing that you're both celebrating that is, uh, look, if people can do it in Alberta, they can do it else, elsewhere, you know, in Southern states and uh, warmer provinces, so. It's all awesome, and I hope you both will share photos of your farms and um, uh, some of your flowers so that people can get a, a, snap, a snapshot in their minds of, of where, uh, where you farm, uh, where you're located, Heather Henson, at Boreal Blooms, and where you are, Clara Qualitza at me- Meadow and Thicket Farm Flowers, and, um, and also meet the women behind the Sustainable Flowers podcast. I just thank you both so much for joining me today.
2: Well, it was an incredible privilege uh, to talk to you, Deborah. It's kind of it's kind of like the pinnacle.
0: Uh, amen, sister. <laughs> now we'll do it together. <laughs> thank you both.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Deborah. Uh,
0: All right, hey, take care. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye. so much for joining this important conversation. It's empowering to learn from Heather and Clara, and I know you'll want to subscribe to their Sustainable Flowers podcast and follow along as the season unfolds in 2020. Our next sponsor thank you goes to the Association of Specialty Cutflower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cutflower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens, which is longfield-gardens.com. Registrations continue for the Slow Flowers Summit and I'm so excited for you to join me and connect with our fabulous speakers, enjoy the incredibly beautiful venue at Filoli Historic House and Garden, and experience the many features that will immerse you in the people, principles, and practices of Slow Flowers. If you've not checked out the details yet, you can find links to everything about our partnership with Filoli Historic House and Garden, our venue for days one and two of the Summit, that's June 28th and 29th, and also see our speaker lineup and programming. By the way, day three is an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour led by our friend, Christina Stemble, CEO of Grow Flowers. This is Rare Access, and I know you'll love to join me. It's available only to summit attendees. As I said, check out all the details in today's show notes at deboraprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 564,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deboraprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.